Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Jeremy England. I am one of four music appreciation teachers for Ohio Virtual Academy, and this is the Ohio Virtual Academy Music Appreciation Podcast. And I am here uh, as most of the time, I was going to say always, but I just did an episode by myself two weeks ago, so not always, <laughs> but most of the time with Miss Daphne Check. How are you today, Daphne? Well, I'm a teacher, and it's May. <laughs> I'm is, tired, yeah. <laughs> but but in a good way. I don't mean that to sound isn't a bad thing. It's just May teacher tired is different, you know, because like, is. like getting to the end and um, my symphony season just ended this past week. So I've like had a lot. And so I'm just ready to just take a breath and have a couple minutes to do something fun like this podcast. So I'm really glad to That's be right. here. I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It is May and there is a very real summer break is coming type of feel in the air. I smell but, it. I smell it. <laughs> that might be the rain. But, <laughs> That's true. Uh, so we're on episode number 62, uh, and we are talking about the music of Los Angeles. So last week we talked about Chicago. Uh, so now we figured let's keep it going a little bit. And last week I had mentioned that Chicago is the third largest city in the United States. And uh, I said New York City was number one, and I thought L.A. was number two, and I should give myself a gold star because I was correct. Woo-hoo. L.A. I know, right? Geography, I got it. Way to but go. That's probably more social studies, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, L.A., it's a, it's a cool city. Uh, it's actually a city I've never been to, so I say it's cool only by what I know and what comes out of it was portrayed there. But um, it is the second largest city, and it's actually the third largest city in North America. So I think it goes New York City, Mexico City, and then L.A. So a little tidbit for you before we get into the music. You're full of of all kinds of stuff today. I think so. I think it's important to have the backdrop, right, to have the – the understanding of who we are talking about. So most of us would probably know L.A. as the home of Hollywood, right? They very famously have the Hollywood sign. Um, mm-hmm. you can't yeah, really who hasn't know. seen that? Right. It's very touristy, um, the home of of uh, Hollywood. And here are the demographics, the breakdown of the demographics, just so again, so we can have an idea of where the music is coming from and kind of what's being put out. 49.8% white, 9.6% black or African American, uh, 11.3% Asian, 23.8% other race, 4.6% two or more races. And I thought this was an interesting statistic here. Uh, And I think, uh, well, I'm saying 48.5% Hispanic or Latino. And uh, out of that, 28.5% is white alone, not Hispanic or Latino. So the way that I read that, and I try to understand this in the census documents too, because I went, I went hardcore for y'all to understand the city of L.A. <laughs> well, um, and especially, you said you went to the census. We yeah. just completed a census. So yeah, this is so pretty be, accurate and update information. Yeah, so I think that white demographic, the 49.8%, I think is, I think Hispanic and Latino uh, is rolled up into that. So 49.48.5% have Hispanic or Latino in their uh, heritage, or they identify as such, and only 28.5% is white alone without that. So that makes sense because L.A. is in Southern California, and it's very close to 
Mexico. So it makes sense that um, a large population would be uh, Hispanic, mostly of Mexican heritage. So there you go. That's our, that is our demographic backdrop for which we will be talking about the rest of the podcast for Welcome to Social Studies. Uh, <laughs> we we uh, surprised you all. We're changing it up completely today. One of the things I think is really interesting, and we'll see this as we talk a little bit about the music, though, is thanks to this demographic background, we now do have this like landscape of understanding the music because as we've talked about, people take their music with them, people take their culture with them. And mm-hmm. so the lot of, you know, uh, music that we'll, we'll be able to talk about that happens in Los Angeles has to do um, with where folks are from. And so it, it, it actually is a very important and relevant discussion here in Los Angeles. Yeah, and I think L.A. has a weird population of people that have come and settled for for generations probably at this point, but also a lot of transplants because it is, like I said earlier, the Hollywood, you know, the entertainment industry headquarters in terms of movies and um, television, right? You go mm-hmm. there, you take the tours, and you see the lots and stuff, and that's where motion picture gets made. Mm-hmm. There's and there's which also means a lot of people are there too because there's lots of jobs in this particular industry. Anytime you've got a city where there's a particular industry or particular type of business happening, mm-hmm. um, you've got a lot of people to make that thing run. So Hollywood has this in spades because it's you know TV and movies and then all the people who are involved in that. <clears throat> Not to mention all the lawyers and the producers and right, and, and right. the agents, right? Yeah. One of the things you have we have here that it, you put is hosts three of the four major award shows. So I'm assuming this means the Emmys, the Grammys, the Oscars, and the Tonys. Is that the, of the four you're talking about? That that would be what I would consider the four. Yeah. Perfect. So then the Tonys are in New York. Correct. And then the other three are here in L.A. And the Tonys are pro- are in New York because that's where Broadway is. Tonys are like live live theater awards but the rest of them are here in la which again makes sense because so much um of the entertainment industry comes out of la sans maybe live musicals or or i keep saying live musicals live theater now that doesn't mean that there's not live theater in los angeles but it's very common knowledge that the hub of of live theater is in new york so so that stays in new york but the other three are here in la yeah, which I think is fascinating because this next, like, so we talk about LA as like recorded, that is, or like live television, but it's ultimately anything that's really recorded is out in LA, it seems like that is the hub. But this I thought was very interesting 1,100 annual theater productions with 21 openings every week. So if that's LA and like they're obviously a major market, but a secondary market to like New York City, uh, like, I wonder how many openings they're having of shows in, like, New York City <laughs> because oh gosh, 21 yeah. a week is bananas to me. That's 21 brand-new shows. Wow. That and, – and think of all the people that encompasses. Like, right. one show encompasses – could can encompass hundreds of people. 21. And all of these would be coveted spots. Because people in L.A. are are often looking for work because it's an arts industry out there. So and that's just with the theater. I just when I think about how many people have to be employed in this type of industry and all the people who are kind of out of work um, 
because, uh, well, right now because of the pandemic, but are just constantly looking for work. It yeah. just it just blows my mind, like how many people are really out in L.A. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's a, yeah, same. I had the same kind of thought. It's just kind of it's mind boggling. Uh, it is. Uh, okay, so LA Music Center, which is in LA, hence the name LA Music Center, is one of the three largest performing arts centers in the nation, which is pretty massive. I just sometimes I forget how big big cities are, or you know, like how much there is there, and it makes sense because uh, again, not knowing much about LA because I'm from the Midwest and everything on the East Coast, all the major areas on the East Coast are significantly closer than anything on the West Coast. Like, on the West Coast, I'm guaranteed I'll have to fly there. Mm-hmm. I can drive to New York City, you know, relatively easy. Um, but L.A. is a guaranteed flight. So it's kind of like a world that I am discovering doing research for this show. So Yeah, and the same thing applies to me. I'm also, you know, Midwesterner. I, I, I can only say I've been in L.A. once for an hour at an airport. That's it. More th- yeah, more than me. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I can at least, yeah. I can, well, I can, like I said, that's my one claim is that I was there for an hour <laughs> to catch a flight. I was there for a layover from um, when I was going, when I was coming back from Hawaii. Um, so I saw LA through a uh, airport that was being uh, worked on. So there was lots of construction. I stopped long enough to get a coffee in LA. Woohoo. At LAX. I'm I'm big shot now. Um <laughs> So that's my only claim. But I've always wanted to go out there um, for, for just to, for all the touristy stuff. Right. Um, but actually, the next thing um, that you have here on the on the outline, um, you talk about the Walt Disney Concert Hall hosts the L.A. Philharmonic, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I want to reference back to Walt Disney for a second. Um, I'm a big Walt Disney fan and um, or just like a Disney fan in general. And I've always wanted to go out there because um, that is where the original Disneyland was. And that's the that's the um, property that Walt Disney himself uh, had a hand in. He had a little bit of hand in the in the Disney world uh, construction, but he passed away before that really came to fruition. So I've always wanted to go back and see this. And then I wanted to go like, see the, like the Walt Disney studios and stuff like that, because they're such a major marketing, uh, media conglomerate that I've always wanted to go check it out. I mean, they have their own concert hall that the LA Philharmonic's in. So, um, that's another reason why maybe someday I'll get out there just that like Disney fan and me can go out there and see it sometime. Yeah, that's fascinating. And uh, when I think of Disney, I think of Florida because of Disney World. When it's funny because, they're, like you said, they're the, like the secondary part of Disney, at least from that original split. You know, Walt was out in California. Mm-hmm. But um, I think Disney Florida, which is, again, just how East Coast-centric I am. Same, <laughs> you know? same. Because yeah. I've been to Walt Disney World several times. Yeah. Um, but never have been out to the original property. And I, I, from what I understand, it's very, very different, which is the whole reason why Walt Disney wanted to build the Florida Park in the first place because the um, one in LA got very commercialized. So like you were looking at the castle in, in Disneyland, but then you could look over and see a Sunoco station. And so yeah. he didn't like that. And so that's why he started building the, um, the Florida property. And so I, from what I understand, it's very different and I'd, I'd love to see that difference in person because the East coaster in me has been to Florida 
I think I've been to Disney World seven times, eight times. Wow. Yeah, I've been there yeah. quite a bit. So I, I'd love to go and see the other stuff, you know, or on my bucket, my personal bucket list is go see all the parks across the world and see what cultural changes each one has. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, but, you know, I, uh, you know, money. Uh, <laughs> so. That's all that needs to be said about that. Yeah. I no get said, it. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, okay, so we got Disney, which is huge. Right, uh, but just a slice of the pie because so there's TV recording and there's movie recordings, but then also, or sorry, TV and movie recording, but music recording is a pretty big deal out in LA as well. So they have Capitol Records, A&M Records, Warner Brothers, who actually I think are based in New York City, but they, I mean, there's there's a ton of big studios in LA that mm-hmm. if you're somebody, you've probably have been out there into one of those studios to record. I mean, they have a very famous building, the Capitol Building, right? Mm-hmm. I believe it's, it looks like a stack of records. So, um, and I learned this too. Charlie Chaplin used to record his own music for his movies, and he had a studio that was like tied in with A&M Records, I believe, uh, or Warner, one of those two Warner Brothers that, um, you know, that's where he composed all of his music. That's really <laughs> so, cool. I don't think of Charlie yeah. Chaplin as a as a uh you know a composer really because yeah. he's known for his other stuff but he he composed all his own stuff uh, i guess Most that's what who knows that's what the internet said so we're gonna take it as okay. gospel because that's what we do because the uh, internet is right <laughs> um yeah this isn't a charlie chaplin show right this is an la show <laughs> you didn't come here for the charlie chaplin talk you came here for the geography ladies oh, and gentlemen yeah, that's right that's right <laughs> I, One, yeah i think um I think you're right, though, about the Charlie Chaplin thing. I, I think I have heard that before, all kidding aside. I don't know the depth of it, but I ha- I feel like I have heard that before, that he had wrote most of his music. I just didn't realize yeah. it was in L.A. I think in L.A. is one of those markets that uh, if you can make it in L.A. as a musician, you probably can make it in a lot of places. Um, it's, it's I mean, it's a big city, New York. I even looked up, like, New York versus L.A. for a music career because mm-hmm. when you're here, I mean, the dream is to drive out to California, right, and go make it as an actor or musician in L.A. Uh, and that's kind of romanticized, but there are a lot of executives out there and a lot of good studios. So if you can make it in L.A., but there's other markets, New York City, uh, Nashville, which I'm sure we'll talk about at mm-hmm. some point in our, our oh, podcast, yeah. but... Like the band uh, Toto, which I I did I took them out I think, but Toto is from L.A. Uh, and they're all session musicians. So even though they're a band now uh, that goes by Toto, they're all like on a bunch of different records already because they have good chops as a session musician. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, there's a lot of work out there if you are talented. I will mention though too. Um, being a session musician is very, very difficult these days. Um, not only do you have to have the chops and stuff, um, but just because of technology, um, some people are, some producers might be like, well, I don't need somebody to come in and play the drums live. I'll just use this electronic kit and do it. I had a friend from college who moved out to LA. Um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing his story because we, don't really talk too much anymore, but I know that he moved out to LA after college and he had a trouble getting work and he was very, very talented and, you know, uh, had a, lots of chops and could play anything percussion under the sun. But I think eventually, 
Um, I don't think he ended up staying out there because it was just hard to have constant income when, you know, drum machines were kind of taking the gigs for you. So it's, you know, if you're a studio musician, please let me know if I'm falsifying your, your experience. <laughs> but I, I have, from what I understand about being a studio musician, particularly in L.A., between the use of technology and just the mass amount of people out there, being a studio musician is incredibly difficult. Yeah, and it's one of those things that once you break into it, I think, and people get to know your name, they can start requesting you. You know, like I mm-hmm. like once you're in, you're in. You know, like once you've made it, you're not going to give up a solid gig. I mean, there's a guy I was thinking about. He played the solo on the Google Goo Dolls song Iris, uh, and he has videos on YouTube of like playing it. Grammys and stuff like playing these big shows and he talks about like I don't ever want to tour again you know like I'm a session musician yeah. I love what I do so I'm not I'm not going on tour <laughs> you know <laughs> like why would I do that uh so yeah I think the other opportunity so those are like traditional guitar and drums but the other cool opportunity for session musicians in LA are uh um like conservatory type instruments or classical instruments because a lot of movie scores, which they can't, I mean, people are building like huge rigs to have orchestra samples, but uh, there's nothing like getting a room full of people who are sight reading movie music for the very first time, playing along with a video and like knocking out a musical soundtrack in two takes. Uh, But there is, there is work there. I think if you can, you know, make it that way, if you play violin or trumpet or any oboe, any of those instruments, you know, there's, that's where they record movie music too, which is that's not something that you can shop out. Like I couldn't be a producer for a rock album and say, hey, you guy in Nashville, here's the track, record it in your studio in Nashville and send it back over, right? You need a full orchestra in a room, uh, which is what happens in L.A., which is cool, I think. Yeah, it's it's definitely different for recording movie soundtracks than it is to just look, throw down a studio album. <laughs> right. It, it's a it's a different world. And you do it, it it does matter who you know. And that's like I feel like that's a lot of professions. I feel like you could argue that for a lot of things. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, but it's very, you know, it, it, it happens a lot in LA because there's so many people out there. Yeah. I mean it's networking, it is mm-hmm. it's you know, there's a, a dime a dozen of virtuosic guitar players in any major market, but it's about building relationships and being ready when you're called upon, if you're ever called upon, like if you ever get the shot, like being absolutely prepared and ready for it. Um, You know, I just think back to the Leonard Bernstein episode where the Mm -hmm. guest conductor got sick, you know, and he just like catapulted to stardom. So uh, millions of, or probably thousands, probably not millions, but thousands of talented conductors, and he just happened to be the right spot at the right time and seized the opportunity. That's what it's like to be a musician, and that's why so many people uh, ob- objectively fail. Uh, you know, they don't they go out to make it a career, and they fail because they've never broken into the market. And that might not be because they're bad; it might be because they have a bad attitude, or they're not reliable, or they just never were in the right spot at the right time. And that's just the luck of the draw, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Much like a lot of things in life, right? Yeah, you got to be yeah, in the right, right place at the right time. Yep. Um, what, another thing I wanted to say before we really dive into the music, and I'll just briefly touch on this because this kind of made me giggle. When, <laughs> when I was looking at stuff for research, there was a link to list of songs about 
Los Angeles. And I was like, okay. And so I clicked on that. And when I tell you I scrolled for like five minutes, I wasn't (laughs) even joking about this. There are so many songs written about um, Los Angeles itself um, or places in the city. And I, I named a few. And I'll tell you what, there are so many on there that I, I know I have missed some big ones. But like I said, it literally it took about five minutes to scroll through this whole thing because I was like, this is insane. So like Beverly Hills by Weezer. Mm-hmm. OK, that one makes sense. Blue Jay Way by the Beatles, which I just think is giggly because, you know, they're obviously a <laughs> British band and they're singing right. about L.A. And then Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. All right. That one kind of messed with me because I was like, I just I didn't know. It's supposed to kind of be about um, like L.A. life, sort of, or like life in Hollywood being like a jungle. It was inspired by somebody in New York. Um, I read that it was a I think it was Axl Rose or somebody in the band was walking and um, a home uh, somebody who was apparently homeless was like yelling, welcome to the jungle, baby. You're going to die. And, you know, that whole lick. Right. And so they kind of translated this into that song and kind of told a story about what it was to to live in L.A. And I never really knew that. So I uh, at least that's what the wiki said. Um, The other thing I'll point out is that there there are a ridiculous amount of songs about California girls, uh, Disneyland, Echo Park, which I thought was interesting. And then songs that are literally called Hollywood and or L.A. or Los Angeles, something like that. Go look <laughs> this up because you're you will you will literally get a wrist cramp scrolling through this page with all these songs. So my point of bringing all this up is just that um, this town is very can be very inspiring um, because clearly people are using their art to talk about it. Yeah, it captures the imagination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the music now that we are however long into a podcast <laughs> episode about music. Oh yeah, uh, you came here no, for the really, social studies. I'm telling you. <laughs> so LA is very diverse. That's the whole reason I like put this in there is because it is diverse, um, but it's pretty late to the music scene that we have covered in like Chicago, for example, which starts all the way back in uh, jazz. So we'll talk about jazz here in just a second for LA, but like it wasn't like Chicago where swing music came out of it you know like la is very young in the music market uh typically in the music that we talk about and when i when i say that i'm thinking of like uh american styles of music because um obviously there was music there before um like it was recorded it's kind of like that if a tree falls in the woods but no one's around does it make a sound um (laughs) but if you think about like how music is moving and you see like the migration of people and the settling of people. Like you can very clearly see jazz move north through the Mississippi uh, up to Chicago and then eventually to Detroit and Kansas City and all that stuff. Uh, Music as it moves west is moving with people who are adventurous and moving out west. Uh, Obviously the advent of the radio and phonographs and recording really starts to capture some of that sound. But like it wasn't – there's nothing like really foundational that comes out of L.A., I think, in the early part of the 1900s. Um, like Chicago has Chicago jazz. New York City is like hip hop. Uh, you know, like there's these foundational styles and genres of music that come out of there very early, but not so much in L.A., which is an interesting phenomenon because it is such a destination for recording artists um, that early on it wasn't 
that way, I don't think. It's very interesting. I never really thought about it being a place of young music until you were kind of talking about it, because historically speaking, you know, the West gets developed so much later than, say, the, you know, here on this side of the continent. And so it just kind of makes sense that, well, yeah, it took longer to develop, but I never gave it a thought that LA's kind of the baby in terms of geographic music. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's just interesting to think about. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like um, all these other styles evolve. And, and I think what's interesting about LA and maybe part of why it seems so young or, um, uh, undeveloped, I guess, is because a lot of these other cities and areas and genres we've talked about have taken something that has come before it and like birthed something new out of that. And that I don't think, uh, minus like uh, gangster rap, which we'll talk a little bit later, um, I don't think anything really like blossomed out of LA. It just kind of became an incubator for really good musicians and not necessarily a place that uh, birthed a new genre or something like that. And I think that's part of what was kind of surprising to me, at least looking at it. I mean, I couldn't really tell if there was something that was like, this is the L.A. sound, except for me, like the Beach Boys. Um, yeah. But they're more like surf rock, which is not necessarily L.A. Right. But, okay, so I'm going to use the food analogy for the day. Yes. All right, here we go. Everybody ready? Okay, so like... Everybody drinks orange juice, right? You got your orange juice. That's what most of the, you know, the country is. Maybe there's different types of orange juice and stuff. But L.A. is like that frozen orange juice concentrate (laughs) that you get in the store. It's still orange juice, but it's super concentrated. And it's really, really potent. And that is what L.A. music is. Thank you very much. Like that a lot. Boom. I like that. Okay. Mic drop. So let's talk about. <laughs> I'm going to censor myself. Music. I'm going to censor myself for three minutes because I really deserve to 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 have that. But I'm just saying I, it's food and and that's it and that's it. So I'm I did Jeremy not know where go. you're going with it. So I, I thought that, that was great. That Thank was you very much. Thank very you poetic. very much. Thank you. So the first place <laughs> we're going to talk about it's kind of getting broken down. It's kind of weird. So we're going to break down a couple of places. So we're going to it's like we got a place, two places, a genre, and then decades. You know, and um, when we talked about Chicago last week, we were able to talk about different genres specifically. And when we broke down L.A., I didn't think it really fit that way as much. Like there wasn't like L.A. hip hop or L.A. jazz or anything like that. So let's talk about a place first, which is important to the early influence of music in L.A. And that's a place called Central Avenue. It's a major north and south road that goes through L.A. Um, And... The important part here is because of jazz. So 1920 to 1955, so about 30 years, uh, early in the 1900s and mid-1900s, it was the heart of the African-American community, which was a lot of active rhythm and blues and an active jazz scene. So, uh, you know, Chicago goes up. And so we're in like the 30s, 40s is swing music, which comes out of Chicago. Uh, I think L.A. is not so much in the swing as it is in a little bit earlier jazz. Wynton Marsalis, uh, I always mess up his first name because it always throws me because there's no S. <laughs> I so always Winton, say it wrong every time. Yeah, Marsalis, uh, who's a very, very famous or talented jazz musician, so look him up, trumpet player. He says that Central Avenue 
is or was the 52nd Street of Los Angeles. And 52nd Street is a street in New York City where that's the home to the jazz scene in New York. So a very compliment, very high compliment of the music that comes out of Central Avenue by a very talented jazz musician. Did you mm-hmm. did you read anything about this Jefferson High School? I didn't, but it, but apparently Jefferson High School um, had a lot of students who had jazz chops, and I I didn't go back and look at any graduates, but it's clearly very well known. Yeah, it's like it was in, it was like a public school that um, kind of it was kind of like a an early arts magnet. It seemed like from what I was kind of understanding it, where if you went there and you had any indication of jazz talents or blues or they would like they would take you through the rigor and they would develop those they would like put you in jazz choirs and jazz ensembles and teach you jazz theory and a lot of people who came out of there ended up gigging as jazz musicians so it's kind of like a early training program for jazz musicians out on the west coast which i thought was Pretty pretty neat, you know, like a, a performing arts school in a way, but for jazz. I wonder if this is one of the f- one of the first kind of performing arts schools. I mean, given when and where this would have been happening, I wonder if it was kind of one of the first ones ever. Yeah, I wonder, like especially in America, you know, kind of yeah. like um, you know, because there's like classical tutors and stuff in Europe, but very American style. Uh, and based by where people lived, you know, is that uh, you went there because I think you lived there, um, not because you like got to transfer in. But I, I'll just do more research on it. But I just thought it was an interesting public school develops jazz musicians. <laughs> shout out to Jefferson High School and shout out That's to all right. the schools who are putting out, you know, these quality musicians. I mean, everybody had to go to school somewhere, right? <laughs> everybody <laughs> did have to go to school somewhere. <laughs> Uh, I listed three important people for this era here. Uh, Chico Hamilton, who's a jazz drummer and a band leader. Uh, Clora, I hope I said her name right, Clora Bryant, Bryant, who's a trumpeter. And I put her in here because she's cool because she's the only female trumpet player to play with Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker, which okay, I thought was a nice. Okay, she's amazing then. Yeah, a nice little uh, accolade to a female jazz player. And then... Uh, Charles Mingus, who's a double bass player, a composer, and a band leader, and uh, apparently one of the most important people in jazz. So, uh, which I know Charles Mingus, but um, so if you're looking to get into jazz scene, you can Google him or YouTube any of his compositions and and kind of get you know what people consider to be one of the most important people in jazz composition. Charles Mingus. Yeah, he's really good. There's so many good ones. It's so hard to narrow the the stuff down, but he's really good. But of course, you know, they have jazz festivals there in LA now. They still have those. So, you know, if there's a a safe way that you can go to a jazz festival in LA, definitely check it out because there's a lot of players out there. Yeah, I thought I felt kind of bad. It's kind of sad that it said it's not nearly, jazz is not as popular as it once was. Uh, But. There it is. Like I said, there's jazz. They got a couple of jazz clubs there. One in like Little Tokyo, I think. Uh, they got a jazz club <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and some jazz festivals. Yeah, but it's just not as as vibrant of a community as it once was, which is which is unfortunate. Yeah. Is it just giving way to the other types of music that is in L.A. predominantly? Is that what yeah, it is? I, I think so. And you know, when I was looking to like the popular jazz musicians who who set up shop there and like if you look at the names from like chicago and new york city 
And like those Eastern markets where jazz was first getting started, that's where like the big, big names are. Louis Armstrong, um, uh, Sonny Rollins, that t- those types of people, uh, they're there. In the West Coast, it's not as prominent. And even talking about the jazz scene, they said uh, early 1900s, it was a small but important and mighty genre. So I just don't think it took as firm a root in that area before other styles of music kind of came along and took it over. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Chicano rock. Now, I don't know too much about this style, but it's basically rock music performed by Mexican American or Chicano groups. So this is um, a subgenre that identifies more with the performer than the style of music. So it's kind of being labeled by the person performing it. Um, and then earliest forms of the style came from Los Angeles um, by particularly by a man named Richie Valens. I don't know this person. I can't say that I know much. Now, again, I don't know much about the subgenre, but did you see much about Richie Valens in your research? Yeah, so he died very young, 17. He died in the crash that took like Buddy Holly uh, and some other musician. So, mm-hmm. And I'm 99.9% positive he's the performer that did La Bamba. Um, so, yeah. And I think part of the reason you don't probably hear much about, or you don't know much about Chicano rock and myself included is, is that because of that second point that that you made, that it's identifies more with who's performing it than a specific style of music. So it's not like Chicano rock doesn't say like you have to have, uh, you know, claves and castanets and congas and bongos and any other Latin American style of music or instruments. It's just if you're a Chicano and you play rock music, then you're a Chicano rock. Uh, they might include some of those elements, but it's it's not necessary it, for that style, which I thought was, again, not uh, not an identifying sound of L.A., maybe an identifying identification of the culture of the people performing any style of rock music, but not necessarily a genre in it in of itself. Well, yeah. Well, and I think it's really interesting because so much when we talk about a subgenre or a genre of music, we talk about qualifiers for it, right? We're talking about it uses this instrument or this rhythmic pattern or has this kind of lyrical structure. That's not really the case here because it really just ends up, um, the identifier becomes the person, not the style. And that's fairly unique. Yeah. Yeah. So the next place we're going to talk about is Sunset Strip, which is a pretty famous part of L.A., I think. Uh, at least I know. I've heard of Sunset Strip before doing this. Um, do, you, do you know anything about Sunset Strip? Uh, I know that there was a TV show I liked. Um, there you go. Called Studio That's- 60 on the Sunset Strip. But I've heard of Sunset Strip quite a bit um, just because it's very, it's, you know, it's known for being like the hip, cool place, like where, where you want to go for food or shopping or where you want to go and hang out. So I know it from that. But outside of that, I don't really know it in any other context outside of what I've seen on my TV. Yeah. So when I was reading about it, I thought it was interesting because it was, it was like, shopping food nightclubs and dance clubs and rock clubs type of stuff and it kind of fell out of favor with the locals it seems like what i was reading so it's not like a 
a local spot necessarily. It's a touristy spot. <laughs> uh, I'm still not uh, cool enough to go to Sunset Strip. I can tell yeah. you right now, I'm nowhere near cool enough. Because I feel like there's this, even as a tourist, you would have to be reach a certain level of cool. And I'm, yeah. I, I'm not there. It's also, you know, probably money. I'm just going to go back <laughs> <Again>. to money. <laughs> uh, you uh, probably have to yeah. have some money. Well, I mean, you're right about being cool because it was popular with early rock musicians like uh, I mean, when I say early, this is why you could tell it's so popular so long. Led Zeppelin, The Doors, uh, Frank Zappa, and other people like that played at popular clubs like Whiskey A Go-Go, The Roxy, and Pandora's Box. So very early rock and rollers were playing out at the Sunset Strip. Uh, but then, it, like I said, it kind of fell out of favor with the locals for, you know, I think maybe just because there was such a touristy place. Um and also the 80s brings about a lot of a lot of rock in the 80s and probably your one of your favorite eras of rock right Daphne I'm holding up um, the sign in my hand yeah. right now you can't <laughs> see me but I'm doing it <laughs> Yeah and it's kind of a racket uh unfortunately because well first of all it was popular for rock bands to go and play uh without without um major label backers or very early in the process. So basically this is a spot for up and comers, kind of like if you can play on Sunset Strip and do well, like you're going to get noticed. And part of the uh, downside of Sunset Sunset Strip was this thing called pay to play, which in the concert world is you say like uh, pay to play is I'm going to pay you to be able to play at your club or you have to buy like, a hundred tickets as the band, and then it's your job to go sell them. If you sell a hundred tickets, you make your money back. If you don't, then you're out that money. But the club is at least covered. You know, it's a way for the club to say, "Well, you have to put up enough, or you have to believe in yourself." Essentially, which is kind of predatory for gigging musicians to say you have to buy all your tickets first and then sell them off that way. Uh, so, Sunset Strip is not like a place you go to make money. I think it's a place you go to get noticed by the recording executives in LA. So it's more for fame, not for fortune. It's it's uh we'll pay you an exposure. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I mean cuz yeah. and let's be honest, you've got to get famous to get rich probably with this type of stuff. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just to do that. Like they go hand in hand. Yeah. It is the record company's there to make money, right? Bars are there to make money. Clubs are there to make money. And uh, you're just the entertainment, it feels like, sometimes. You know, you're just a means to an end yeah. for them. Yeah. So, oh, well. Oh, well. They're just out for you. Um, No, that's not true, <laughs> people. That's not true, people. Well, let's kind of start breaking some of this music down by, like, decade and kind of what their time was. And we'll start with the 1970s. Um, in the 70s, punk rock was really, really important. Um, and big in LA. Now it wasn't quite as popular as, uh, you know, punk rock wasn't quite as popular as it was in New York city or London. Matter of fact, when I think punk rock, I think London, but weird in my brain, I think like London and it wasn't as popular as in LA as it was in those other places, but it definitely still had a following. It had some cult bands, not a cult, (laughs) <laughs> cults including the screamers the germs the weirdos and the dills which i i don't really listen to too much punk rock but i've not heard of those also those names are pretty fabulous yeah punk rock does have some pretty good band names so do, i guess do, they got that going you know what i thought about too a lot of punk rock bands start with the article the 
Yeah, no, I, I was done that too. Yeah, the the pancakes. The yeah, yeah. The the window panes, the light bulb. Yeah. Like there, I'll bet there's bands that are named that, and they're punk. If, so yeah. if they start with the folks, there's probably <laughs> a decent chance they're punk rock. That was a like generalized it. statement, but I'm just saying. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna think about wrong. that every time. Yep. That's true. Prove me wrong. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so. Let's go to the 80s because I think yeah. the 80s is where it really um, it blows up in terms of L.A. sound. And so when I think – okay, personally, when I think of the L.A. sound, I think of uh, three things and they're totally unrelated to different genres. I think of uh, hip-hop, gangster rap specifically, you know, a little bit heavier uh, styles of hip-hop. I think of uh, – like the Beach Boys and surfer rock and kind of like really laid back. And then I think of like poppy Miley Cyrus type stuff. Uh, so that's what I think of when I think of LA music. And part of that is because in the 80s we get gangster rap or the beginnings of gangster rap, which comes out of a little subsection of LA called Compton, which is a very small, small neighborhood, um, high gang activity. A- a- LA is known as the, oh, I don't want to get it wrong, but basically the gang um, capital of the world. Like there's a ton of people, a lot, like 450 gangs. Um, there are thousands and thousands of people in a gang. Um, and so it makes sense that if you're in a culture that is surrounded by gangs, or if you're in a gang yourself, you would sing about or perform about what you know. And that's where like gangster rap is born out of specifically Compton, which like opens up people's eyes to a whole new world that they never would experience or see themselves, even if you're in LA, because like I said, Compton is such a small little chunk. It was it was pretty groundbreaking at the time when it came out. It really did open a lot of people's eyes to what life was like in that area of the world because it wasn't very known. When NWA came on the scene, it absolutely flipped everybody on their head. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think they're probably them and public enemy like i think they're so like important in in this kind of um kind of kind of rap style we're talking about uh g-funk too but i think i especially nwa i mean well they really changed the game because uh hip-hop if you listen to our past episodes was started in new york city Mm -hmm. and it has a very distinct sound it's very um different and West Coast rap really changed the game in terms of how you deliver, what you talk about, and like the beats that that underlie the music. So I thought it was, you're right. I think those two groups really uh, blew it up, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and they really lead the way for what happens in '90s rap, which we'll get to in a second. But if you, if since since you were talking about what you think about with LA with the rap and and the pop yeah. and and the you know like the beach boys kind of thing. When I think about it, I'm actually I'm thinking about rock mostly because of my own complete prejudice and my of own course. bringing up. Of course. Um so let's and we've talked about, you know, I grew up in an 80s hair band house, so this is all like my stuff. Um that 80s rock sound including Van Halen, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Rat, Metallica, Slayer, all those guys and a handful of those I have seen live because my mother raised me. Right. Um, so <laughs> I can, I'm looking at my mother right now, but they are, <laughs> they are, um, 
absolutely just, you know, just that real hard metal. And it was the 80s. So it was that fabulous flash, you know, the big hair, uh, the eye makeup kind of thing. So I guess that's the stuff I think about a little bit. Now, it doesn't mean I don't think about the other stuff, but um, I I just get this, especially like Motley Crue and Van Halen in my head. (laughs) It's so funny because uh, I never gave much thought to where those bands formed until I saw it like on this list. And, you know, like mm-hmm. I didn't know they were from LA. And um, now that I do, I totally understand like that sound, like especially Metallica. I think they always kind of existed in like the rock nether, you know, they just kind of were like, they didn't have a home. They just, they were, they were made and formed into rock music with no home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I, and part of that's because maybe because I have my own ideas of like what LA sounds like uh so like for them to be like oh that's la rock like okay i can see how they all are grouped together into one um like area that makes sense Mm because they all like loud and fast and distorted and um yeah i just never like even thinking about it now and talking about it i can't picture it from la (laughs) (laughs) it's really hard to wrap my head around so uh, again, because I don't think of LA as a rock scene, I guess. Like, not, it's not a rock scene where people are born out of. It's a place where you go to play rock music, but like, rock isn't born out of there. And I'm obviously very off base because the list of people that come from there are um, obviously talented. So, well, and, and again, we all have our own uh, things we relate to with places, yeah. you know, we, things we relate to. So when I think of the eighties, I think of a lot of these bands, um, you know, and that does lead me back to LA where, where you're, you lean a little bit more toward rap and that's just because we're human and we have those yeah. preferences or basis or whatever, or bias, or I don't know. If, I don't I wouldn't even say bias. Cause it's not like we dislike something. We just, we're, we're used to that and humans go toward what they know. Right. So the other thing I think of, I actually go closer to you is I think of more nineties rap when I think of LA, because that is when we got, um, Snoop Dogg and Tupac Shakur, um, Dr. Dre, uh, Easy E and Ice Cube. We get all those folks. So they basically take that 80s rap and turn up the dial on it in the 90s. And we really get a further sense of what it's like to live in some of these places in L.A. Um, that are very different from our own. Especially, I think Tupac Shakur's All Eyes on Me album is very telling of that. Um, if you're at all, if anybody's at all familiar with that, um, I think that album, I remember listening to that album a lot as a kid or not a kid, cause obviously it's a little more sophisticated than a child, but, um, I remember listening to that album and, and really being blown away by just the style of it. And then the stories that were being told in that. So yeah, Tupac Shakur for sure in that nineties rap. And of course, Snoop Dogg because Snoop Dogg. Yeah. I think it's just, you're talking about like the eighties in so, like, how my mind outlined this outline, um, I think I very much put, uh, like, how they weigh heavily. Like, so those 80s bands weigh heavier to the decade than they do to a location, where, like, that group you just listed weigh more heavily towards a location than they necessarily do to a decade. So my That's mind is just working true. very weird because – the, the 90s rock group we have here, I totally could see how a lot of these people are from L.A. Uh, and so, like, 90s rock is a little bit more – it's a very different feel, <laughs> very different style mm-hmm. than what comes out of the 80s because we have, like, 
Beck, Weezer, Sublime, Lincoln Park, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Tool. Uh, so some of those I'm very clearly like, oh, yeah, I totally see that they're from L.A. Red Hot Chili Bel- Peppers, we're looking yeah. at you. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, and to be fair, the Californication. <laughs> Right. That might be why yeah. we're by, we might be looking at them for that reason. But I I can hear that sound from L.A. Yeah. I just can't. And I, uh, I forgot uh, Jane's Addiction and Rage Against the Machine. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, big bands. And I wonder, as I look more into these, I'd be curious to see how many of these are formed out of, like, if they're all from L.A., like, is Red Hot, like, I believe they're all from L.A. probably area, but, like, uh, uh Lincoln Park or Tool, like, are they from L.A. and they formed a band or did they travel to L.A. and the band was formed in L.A.? I would be curious to see that, like, who's bringing different elements of their their homes? You know, we talk about traveling to L.A. to make music. You know, like, you get there, you link up with other people who make music, and you put together a group. So I, I wonder if that's some of the secret sauce to L.A. and their music scene is – like you, you talked about this concentrate of orange juice, like people are bringing their expertise from their hometown and putting it together in L.A. with people. So it's kind of like a melting pot of styles in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that more with the rock side than we do with the hip hop side. And perhaps that's yeah. why I associate rock with eras versus hip hop with location because of maybe how some of these bands and stuff were formed. Or I could be just totally misguided and not understand anything that I'm saying. So No, but I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, and, and we, we, we sh- I guess we could also point out the fact that when we're talking about 90s rap, the infamous East Coast-West Coast battle uh, yeah. is, is very ingrained in our heads. And so maybe we are, you know, thinking about that that because of – because of that, that's why rap gets very uh, location-centered in the 90s, and that's why it comes back to L.A. Yeah, they cultivated a sound for their side, you know, essentially yeah. their East Coast versus West Coast versus like even, even Southern Atlanta hip-hop is all very, very different. Yeah, so. it's like there's this beautiful hip-hop triangle in the United States. <laughs> there true. really is, if you think about it. It's a, um, it's a weird-looking triangle, but it's a triangle no less. Yeah, which is interesting because if you put the triangle, you got like New York City and then South is Atlanta. So they're one side. But then there's like no Northwest hip hop style that I know of. I could be totally wrong with that. But like West Coast hip hop is based in L.A. So we need some like Northwest. I guess is Macklemore from uh, Seattle, right? He might be. So maybe he's a little bit more represent, but very late to the game in terms of the hip hop establishment <laughs> okay so seattle uh portland we're looking at you yeah. uh get on this maybe get Vancouver. your hip-hop life together get you know? your hip-hop life together <laughs> stop drinking your coffees <laughs> at your shops throwing fish the- around you know what yeah I mean? come on. yeah come on what are you what are you doing like start <laughs> rapping i want to hear rapping about rain and fish and uh coffee and hipster donuts okay thanks <laughs> also i know nothing about the northwest please don't write me angry letters yeah. oh my gosh okay so let's <laughs> let's jump into like totally off the scene so this is i think this was kind of in my humble opinion la's heyday was the 80s and 90s in terms of live music putting out uh popular acts i you know don't mm-hmm. at me or do that's cool 
We'll but, give you his contact information at the end. Yeah. But I think maybe, again, this might be just a product of when I grew up, but I think that is L.A.'s focus are those two decades. Because 2000s, we get into like kind of a weird um, like EDM scene. <laughs> so EDM and rave music is kind of like what uh, becomes popular in, in L.A. And maybe it's because they have like deserts that they can go rave at right outside the city. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, wait they, a minute, just, <laughs> that becomes the scene. Sorry, hold on, I'm having a moment here. So people just travel outside of LA to a, a just a sandy. <laughs> All right, go on. I just had a picture. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Electric Daisy Carnival. Uh, so this is a weekend EDM festival. Uh, 185,000 people, which is the largest dance music festival in North America. Now, EDM, we just talked about this, and I just talked about it in my class. I'm not sure where you're at, Daphne. But Yeah, actually, we just had this talk yesterday. Yeah, we had the EDM talk. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I really, I really had to sit my students down and discuss yeah. EDM with them. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. So EDM. I love this. EDM is, uh, maybe we'll do an episode of this too, but it's yeah. basically uh, pre programmed music that's put together and it's not a it's not a listening style of music. It's a dancing style of music, basically. Uh, and it is different than like the house style that we talked about in Chicago. It's different than techno that is in Detroit, but it is like a, a blending of these. And so EDM is, is typically one DJ and they're mixing samples of music. They're li- mixing synthesizers and basically a bunch of different beeps and boops and different samples. <laughs> and they do performances and um, they could record stuff beforehand and play it. They might remix stuff live, uh, but it is for... It's for dancing and having fun. I mean, it's really just a a good time. A real so, party, definitely. Yeah, for real, for and real. And that's why and just cool stuff. I, which I should say again, I'm projecting what I believe is a rave. I've never been to a rave, um, but just this very high energy glow stick, dancey, um, sort of free spirited kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and I, that's pretty much it. We had a pretty good little um house music night starting down in bowling green we had a, a dj oh, who, who was putting it together at clazelle and since we're so close to like detroit again techno is born in detroit so a lot of this electronic music is is pretty heavy in that area uh, they'd have djs come down and ex- exactly what you think black lights neon hula hoops um bubbles juggling foam. bubbles oh. foam i mean like <laughs> yeah it's just it, it was bizarre but Cool, all at the same time. I don't know, it's, it's a very weird, uh, in a good way. It's a very otherworldly experience in a lot of ways. Okay, um, now I need to go to one. There you go. I just want to dance with, uh, in foam with a glow stick. That sounds, oh. that sounds like a good time. It sounds dirty to me, but... <laughs> it probably would be. It's probably oh, true. It's a room full of foam oh, in COVID times? Oh, Absolutely not. No. No, I take yeah. it back. Withdrawn. <laughs> Comment <So> withdrawn. <laughs> let's go to the whole other end of EDM, I think, and that is classical and vocal music. So, <laughs> Right. There's, there yeah. is a, 
uh, I, for lack of a better term, I, I just kind of labeled this classical vocal. Just like most big cities, there are um, performing groups that perform you know, classical works or orchestral compositions. Um, the Los Angeles opera is very well, well renowned. It's the fourth largest opera company in the United States. Um, the Los Angeles master chorale, which I had not heard of. Um, but it's one of the resident companies of the companies of the music center and the Walt Disney world concert. Or I slipped Walt Disney concert hall. See my wood, my wood Western showed. Um, <laughs> but um, the Walt Disney Concert Hall. So that's where they're housed. Los Angeles Corral um, performs there. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, the Los Angeles Philharmonic, they're pretty well known. Um, they're not one of the big five that we talked about last week, but they're I, I, I think a lot of people have heard of the Los Angeles Philharmonic, though, just because of them being in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, they're no slouches. They no, are not at all. Uh, they're a, a major market. Obviously, they got um the second largest city in the U.S. So um, good. They're just not as well, I think, established as some of the the big five are perhaps. But Yeah. And they're kind of out there. I mean, I'm sure there's other – in California, there are other symphony orchestras and philharmonics for sure. But Los Angeles gets top billing out there just because of what we talked about earlier. They're they're not as close to everything as we are here on the West Coast – or on the East Coast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to uh, to stop. So if you want to interact with us or let us know how wrong we are or that you enjoyed our show, please yes. reach out to us. Um, you can do that a few ways. First is on Twitter at OHVA, excuse me, on Twitter at OHVA Music. Uh, you can go to our website, anchor.fm forward slash OHVA Music, and you can leave voice comments or, or get a hold of us there. Uh, you can reach me, Jeremy, at Jeremy P. England on Twitter. If you like this episode or you like hanging out with us, you know, give us a nice rating in the podcast player of your choice and share it with somebody just because, uh, you know, they like to talk about music just like we'd like to talk about music. Uh, with that, you got anything else, Daphne? Um, please tell us how wrong we are because we've never been to Los Angeles. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Y'all have a good day and we will talk to you next week. See ya.